Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we are in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, last week, we read the first six verses uh, of this passage where Paul starts out and he says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. And we talked about how the, the freedom uh, that Paul was referring to was specifically two things, a freedom of conscience, that, be, that as we stand before God's law, we're, we're guilty. We realize we've fallen short, woefully short, and, and that, that ought to plague us. We ought, to we ought to have a sense of guilt all the time because we're guilty. Yeah, I mean, that's what the sense of guilt is. But we can have a freedom from this being enslaved to that guilt and enslaved to having our poor record, our broken record always before us because if you're in Christ, then he has taken your record off of you and onto himself. And he's given you his beautiful spotless record. And he also not only gave, gives us this freedom of conscience, but also we talked about a freedom of motivation that we have. That if you're, Paul has talked about the law, and he says if you're living before the law, then your motivation is really for yourself. How do I look good? How do I keep a good record? How do I stay right before either the God of the universe or whatever God I may set up that I want to be? Maybe my own set of laws. You may not believe in God at all, but you have your own set of laws and you try to live. And those, those are enslaving and in bondage. And we're free from having to make, have the, the bondage to be motivated living for myself. And instead, when my conscience is free, then I can forget about myself and I can start really living to serve others and living for the purpose of loving others and, and loving God. So we're going to come back to the last couple verses uh, in this passage uh, that we looked at last week today and just continue to chew through those and apply them and look at uh, what they mean in our lives. So we're going to read ver just verses 5 and 6 this morning. So hear the Lord. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Okay, you've heard from the Lord. Let's, let's ask him to help us understand this and apply it. Father, in some ways we read and we hear these words and they, and they sound uh, pretty disconnected from our day or our age, or they may even sound uh, kind of theoretical or, or, or churchy. Uh, but, but these are extraordinarily concrete. So help your spirit see, help us to see how these engage with our lives, with our hearts, with our week uh, that's coming up. And so we ask this uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, like I've been saying, Paul's been warning the people in these churches, these churches in these different cities of the area of Galatia, about the difference between the law way and the gospel way. Okay, they've been tempted to this law way by some teachers who came in and it's been tearing them up. These teachers came in and said, you must be circumcised and you must keep the law of Moses fully in addition to believing in Christ in order to be saved. If you're not circumcised, if you're not fully keeping the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Uh, we learned about that in Acts 15. I mean, this had actually happened. And, the, and 
there was a loss of joy that we talked, we saw that last week in the middle of chapter four. Paul says, what's happened to all your joy? Because when you're living, having to be absolutely perfect, it's just a relentless treadmill that will wear you out and chew you up. And that's what had happened to them. And they also not only lost their joy, they lost their love for Paul because they were just so preoccupied taking care of themselves and, and so he, he says, you know, before you would have gouged your eyes out for me, and now you, you, you've got this scorn. He said, where'd that come from? You didn't have that before. And so Paul looks at these symptoms of a loss of joy and, and a loss of love, and he knows that the issue under the hood in their lives, in their hearts, is, is the fact that they're looking to the wrong source for their righteousness, for their record. And so he gives an alternative to the law way, and it's the gospel way. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And the first thing we see is that instead of bondage and anxiety, which come from the law way, uh, the gospel way produces hope. The, the, the law way produces this bondage, this enslavement. And the way it works is, again, some of the Christians in the Galatian church were Jewish converts. They were Jews who were believers that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Christ. But... The group that he's writing to, that he's speaking to in this particular part of the letter are the Gentile Christians who originally were worshiping idols, these other gods, these other pagan religions in the area, and they were enslaved to all the rules of the pagan gods. The reason people would turn to pagan gods is they wanted to find a god that had rules they could meet, because if you can meet the rules, then you're in good, but the rules were relentless. They, 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 keep, they, they keep standing before you. And so, but they left those and they turned to Jesus when Paul preached to them. And so they had freedom from this slavery to, to their gods. But then Paul, what Paul tell, is telling him in this letter is, he said, the problem is you overcorrected. They, they, they believed in Jesus, but then they took it a whole nother step when the second group of teachers came in behind Paul from Jerusalem and started teaching, oh, no, no, we, we, you've got to, be circumcised. You've got to keep the entire Mosaic law. And Paul said, you went from slavery to these pagan gods to slavery to these Jewish rules, and you're still in bondage. And he's been explaining that, that, that they need to, that means the, the drudgery that's there wears them out. I mean, I, I, I hear about people who leave Christianity because the drudgery that's involved or the uh, the, the legalism or the oppressiveness. Well, when people say that's why they're leaving Christianity, they're leaving basically the, Christ, the Galatian Christianity, which you find in churches sometimes. Or you find among some believers. Who, that's why, that's why we're, we're going so slow working through this book because it's, it's pervasive. It's pervasive, from our, it's pervasive in my heart. The, the, the natural drift, you know, when, you, when your car's out of line, and you take your car off the steering wheel, what happens? It starts to pull over to the side. That's how you know it's out of line. If your car does that, take it, get it line, aligned. But what, the, there's, there's an out of alignment of our hearts, too, that we all have a natural drift, this default drive, then, and it's to, to slide over to trusting in how I'm performing. And then that's why we just need to keep drilling over it over and over again because it's just so instinctive to us. But the people who live aren't, who leave Christianity generally aren't leaving true gospel Christianity. They're, they're leaving 
uh, Galatian-style Christianity, which does produce misery. It does drive people away for good reason. What we see in verse 5 is we see how this produces hope instead of that drudgery, instead of that anxiety. The verses right before this, Paul talked about how the, the law way doesn't just lead to this drudgery, but he says it severs you from Christ. He says you've fallen away from grace if you go back to that. I mean, those are, those are pretty harsh words, aren't they? That's striking language to say you've, you've cut off Christ. Well, in this verse, Paul explain, in verse 5, Paul explains by contrast why he made such a drastic statement. He says, because before he said, if you're, if you're trying to keep the law, that's striving by your efforts. He said, in striving by your efforts, what does he say in verse 5? He says, in that second line, he says, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Okay, so this striving, Paul says, we wait. That's the contrast. Instead of, instead of severing yourself from Christ and falling away from grace, he says, we're waiting for what it is that God is going to provide. And the God... His point is, one day God's going to declare us righteous. I'm trusting Jesus for that now. Okay, that's, where, that's where the faith comes in. That it's, that you're tempted sometimes to, to, to give up the, the weight. To, when you're waiting for God to declare you righteous, you're feeling unrighteous. You look at your life, and it's kind of gnarly. Okay? You look at your heart, and, and you, can, you, know, you hear some of the, the filth, or you just hear the, the judgment in your heart in your heart sometimes, and, and you're thinking, oh, I'm just, I'm so unrighteous, I'm just so unworthy of God. And to believe that God has declared me righteous is really hard sometimes. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a faith step. And so how, how do I wait? You know, I mean, remember Abraham gave up the weight for God's promise to provide a son through Sarah. And he tried to work it out, make it happen on his own. Well, if, when, we're, when we're waiting for God to declare me righteous and I'm not feeling righteous, we just need to go back to keep looking at Jesus' righteousness. By faith, you've got to trust that you will be declared righteous. You may not look very righteous. You may not feel righteous. But it's looking at Jesus. That's what makes it faith. Okay? And, and he says we, we wait we wait for the hope of righteousness. See, trust, faith is trust, and trust is reliance. We were talking in the communicants class last week with, with the kids about faith is not just in your mind believing that it's true, but say if, say if I had a, a chair, one of these uh, chairs over here, and I say, I believe that that chair can hold me up. Well, that's intellectual right, uh, faith. But unless, if I sit in the chair, then I'm showing with my whole being that I believe I'm relying on the fact that that chair would hold me up. Now, some of those brown chairs are a little sketchy, but, <laughs> but nonetheless, the, the, and in, with Christ, the faith that he's calling us to is not just that I believe what Jesus did, but that I've, I'm really relying on him. I've set the weight of my life. My hope is in who Jesus is. But the, and hope, okay, it's this word hope. We wait for the hope of righteousness. You know, we hear hope in our culture, and we, hope means hope so, I hope so. Hope in the Bible, hope the way Paul used it, 
when you read it in the Bible, the, the, the Greek word is elpida. The, the, the Greek word hope is a certainty. It's a done deal. It's guaranteed delivery. Okay, it's the certainty of a future reality. Because it's a future reality, I've got to wait, but I'm certain it's going to happen. Okay, I can count on it. Jeff Brock, who's our intern and leads the music team, is getting married in a few weeks, June 8th. Okay. His, his hope isn't, yeah, I hope it happens. <laughs> Stephanie will straighten him out on that now. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's, it's certain. It's going to happen. But guess what? The hope of righteousness we have with Jesus is much more certain. It's just we don't have it in hand yet. It hasn't happened. And the way you sustain waiting for that hope, because it's hard. I mean, before we throw Abraham under the bus, we're not waiting on God. Remember, how long was it between when God promised and Abraham decided to take things into his own hands? It was about 12 years. Have some of y'all given up on praying for things or, or trusting the Lord for something in less than 12 years or 12 hours? Okay, 12 days, 12 years. And he didn't even have the whole Bible. He didn't have any of the Bible. He had God speaking to him once, one time. So before we throw Abraham under the bus for, you know, getting a little slippery on, on his faith, it's, it's hard to, to trust in a hope of what's set before it. It can be really tempting to say, oh, i got to take this into my own hands. I mean, Abraham got to the point where he'd gone from 75 years old to 87 years old, and Sarah wasn't too far away in age. I mean, you can, you can see why it became harder and harder for him to wait. So how do you keep the hope alive? Well, Paul says it's through the Spirit, what? By faith. So the way I keep the hope alive is by faith. Now, faith can be a fuzzy word. What is faith? You know, it's a country song, if you have faith in faith. Now, faith, faith is, is about what you look at. It's faith is that I look and I, and I direct the focus of my, my thoughts. Okay, the, the eyes of your heart, you put the focus on, on Jesus and what he's done. And when you look at Jesus' record as, as yours, then that is what buttresses your faith. If I'm merely looking at how far short I'm falling then that's, my faith is then in my works and how I'm doing or how I'm not doing, how I'm whiffing. I need to look at what Jesus has done, and that's my hope. I mean, if, if, if your goal, if, what, if, you're, if you're living for your, your law is the approval of other people, and if you see something uh, that might put you in a bad light with what other people think about you, or you, you hear Somebody says that your spouse or your boss or, or your kids point out something that exposes your bad record uh, and then you're afraid they're not going to think right of you. It's hard in that moment to say I'm going to wait for a righteousness, a declaration that I've got a good record because my current sense of my record is feeling in jeopardy and I feel like I've got to scramble around. And the question is, do I run to the cross and do I see what the Jesus died? Because why is he dying? What did Jesus die for? He died for your bad record. He died for your bad record. If you see Jesus on the cross, it helps to deflate this expanding concern over my record because I look at Jesus' record and say, why am I surprised I've got a bad record? Of course I've got a bad record. My record is so bad, I'm so twisted, I'm so corrupt inside that it required God slaughtering the second person of the Trinity. He had to kill his son. 
And I'm getting wound up because I'm thinking I might look bad. Right? Does that make sense? And the problem is it's not just that, oh, I think it might look bad. It's that that spills over into how I then react. If, if I see that he's dealt with my bad record, then I don't need to sacrifice these other people on the altar of my good record of making me, making me look good. Whether it's me getting all defensive and explaining all the mitigating circumstances. So they feel like, okay, this person, I can't, can't tell them anything. I can't tell her anything. Or, or by attacking the person, you know, attacking them passive-aggressively through gossip or uh, trying to undermine them to shoot the messenger. See, the reason hope matters, and it's not just a churchy word, is because what your hope, if you have the hope of Christ, or if you put your hope in something else, it makes a difference in how you treat other people. Okay, it's what enables you to be loving or to not be loving. It's not just about having a personal peace. Okay, it's about how threats to your personal peace mobilize you to be destructive relationally. And if, if what keeps your personal peace intact so that you're not destructive relationally is having that hope of righteousness and, and, and keeping it current and just cranking up the volume in your mind and your heart. But as we see here in verse 5, it's, it's, it, the gospel way, instead of bondage and anxiety, leads to hope. But verse 6 tells us it also produces love. Instead of bondage and really estrangement from other people, it leads to love. And in verse 6, the second verse here, now this, let me start out with a little lesson in Bible reading and Bible interpretation. Circumcision. Someone mentioned last week, really helpfully, he said, you know what, previously, we talked about, I unpacked this last week as well. He said, previously, when I would run into a passage like this, and if you were here last week, remember the several verses before it, talk about circumcision over and over again. I would have seen all this talk about circumcision and thought, that doesn't really pertain to me, and just skipped over the whole section. And it's understandable. Because it sounds like, what, what, what does that have to do with me? And ironically, if, if you do that, you miss one of the most relevant passages in this entire letter. And so when you read a verse, don't just jump first to, what do I do? And what was neat was this fellow sharing with me that, that it helped him see that it was actually a very relevant passage. That if, if the first thing you want to stop and ask is, what is this writer trying to impress on the original reader. In other words, when Paul was writing this to the Galatians, although he used the issue with circumcision, that wouldn't necessarily be up for us, but what, what are, how would that, I mean, for them, the circumcision or uncircumcision, where he says, if you're in Christ, if you belong to Jesus, if you're attached to Jesus, he says, neither, uncircumcision, neither circumcision, which is having a good record, supposedly by what their teachers have said, or being uncircumcised, which would be having a bad record, according to what their teacher said. He said neither one of those matters. Well, take out circumcision and plug in something for your life. That, you know, they, they, they were said, I, I've been told I must be circumcised to be acceptable in God's eyes. And Paul's saying, look, if you're in Christ, your record is irrelevant. He's looking at Jesus' record. 
believe that and have that turn into love, have that mobilize you into obedience. And so when you say, what do I do with that, is you apply the principle. Okay, skip, you got to plug some other things in for, uh, for the circumcision. What are ways that I get preoccupied with my record in a way that produces bad results? Kind of like the Galatians losing their joy. Kind of like the Galatians starting to scorn Paul, having it, having it out for Paul. What are the things that, that work in your heart to produce those kind of things? What, what are the things in your life that when they're lost or maybe when they're threatened that cause you to lose your sense of you know, blessing, as it will, or, or your joy? And it's different for each one of us. Right? When you think about what are the things that make you tick, a little example of how this played out for me. In high school, I wanted a claim. Okay, I wanted to be uh, recognized for my uh, accomplishments. And basically because I didn't think my personality or my looks was going to win anybody over, so I could outwork them. You know? But I, I wanted this acclaim. And so when, when my, a friend of mine, I guess my friend, Randy Wright, he was the, our all-state quarterback. When he decided to run for senior class president and beat me, and I knew he was doing it to build up his resume so he could get into Notre Dame, which he did. And the response was, because it messed with my record and what I wanted, was I basically froze him out as a friend. See, my, my, my hope was my acclaim, and when it was threatened, when it was actually lost, I went on the warpath. Make sense? I, wouldn't, I mean, I wasn't a Christian, but still. I mean, what, what is it for you? What, what are the, thing when you're, the things where I get preoccupied with, how do, how do I look? How is this going to reflect on me? And I use that to protect myself. Instead of thinking about other people, I'm thinking about me. Right? You get the tunnel vision. You get the focus. So when, so when you read the Bible, again, don't miss the principles because the, the example might not be directly relevant. So let's, let's unpack this. He says, okay, the record, neither a good record or a bad record is what counts. Okay, it's not that we shouldn't be doing good things, but it's that your record of doing it, it's your, when you look backwards or, or forwards of what's my record going to look like, that shouldn't drive you. But what does he say? What counts? Faith working through love. Galatians 6.15, Paul says, for neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. The only thing that counts is a new creation. That would be what you call a parallel. <laughs> a new creation is the same thing as faith working through love. So what is this faith working through love? It's, it's, it's literally, the, the word working through is the word energeo in Greek. So it's literally this idea that your faith energizes love. Your faith unpacks itself as love. Now was my, was my fruit with Randy love? Obviously not. And so Clearly, I didn't, I, my, my, I mean, I had faith, but the faith was in me. The faith was in, in what was going to make my life work as I worked it out, as I had it planned out. And when that came down, there was no love involved. Several years later, or, yeah, several years later, as uh, Margaret and I uh, were, had been married about 10 years, and we were on a missions trip, and the Lord made me aware of the fact that I, I, enjoyed, I loved listening to her, just sitting and talking and have her share things with me. But I, he also just convicted me of the fact that I would, I would let her share things and kind of unload you know, frustrations well, with me or not even things that were not me. But when it began to reach a point where 
I felt like she was uh, sharing something or asking something that was going to be uh, beyond my line of, of what I knew how to, how to help. It, it was going to expose my incompetence or my impotence that all of a sudden my record is, you know, as, you know, as husband, you want to be competent. You want to be a good husband for your wife. You want to show that you're worth something. You, you know, you can help out. And, and I, when she would reach that point, I would, even though I would, felt like I, I listened more than, usual, more, more than a lot of situations, I was kind of redirected at that point and either give suggestions about how to fix it or, or but I wouldn't let her totally unpack her frustrations. Does that make sense? I mean, I know it makes sense to you wives, to you ladies. Um, the, and, and so what, where the repentance, where I had to plug this in was, I was learning more and more about this verse, was, okay, I had to say, okay, bring Christ Jesus, neither my competence as a husband nor my impotence, my incompetence matters. My record, how I look to her and to God doesn't have any value. What counts is faith. I've got to believe Jesus has given me a new record. He's all in for our marriage. He's more committed to it than we are to make it work right. That works out in love. And so what I had to start doing was when, when she would start sharing with me and she'd near that line, and man, this took faith because everything inside of me just got this tunnel vision. I got I to I I protect myself. I got to protect myself. I'm about to look bad. I had to just bite a hole through my tongue and, and let her keep sharing and go down here. And she'd get down to the end and... All I could say was, that really stinks. And I just utterly felt like a fool. I felt like I was incompetent. And she felt loved. It didn't bother her that I looked incompetent. I'm sure I knew. <laughs> that was old news. But the, the irony was she felt more loved when I was willing to let her go all the way and just share her heart, totally empty her heart to the bottom, even though I had no idea what to do with it. And that took, I mean, that literally took so much faith and prayer as she, as she was heading up to that point because I, I, I wanted to, to stop it. Does that make sense? I mean, you'd be amazed how much our, our record spills over into uh, our not loving well or loving well. You know, let me give another example. Maybe, maybe for you, your, your law-keeping has to do with being late or not, not, you know, not, not being late. And so when your record is threatened uh, and you're going to be late for some, maybe late, you know, late for church or whatever, do, do, you, do you sacrifice other people who are with you on the altar of keeping your record intact? Or can you say in the moment, whether I'm a prompt person or I arrive a little tardy, doesn't matter what counts is faith, that Jesus' record is mine, energizing love. Now, it doesn't mean you get all sloppy, but it changes the way you're dealing with the other people who are not helping cooperate with keeping your record intact. <laughs> right? The, the nature of our record and what Paul's talking about is, is your record is all about you. And so when you're locked in and thinking about your record, you're, you're thinking about yourself and you're unable to love. You can't, you can't be staring at your navel and thinking about somebody else at the same time, let alone the Lord. And when it's all about trying to make, keep everything intact, that, then it's, it's not going to be loving. And I'm going to get snappy 
I'm going to get sarcastic or condescending. I remember years ago, uh, Larry Crabb, uh, who was a counselor, he wrote a book on marriage, and I, and I, uh, he, he made a comment in there. Actually, I think this maybe even read it before we got married. And he said, if you, if you do something for your spouse to, do, to be loving to them, and they don't respond with the feedback you were looking for, and if you get you all bent out of shape because you know, they didn't recognize or acknowledge what it was you just did for them, what it tells you is you weren't trying to love them. You were trying to manip- manipulate them to, to feed, feed your ego. And man, I mean, I was just busted. And I, oh, that just cut to the core. Because we all do that, don't we? We'll do things for people. And when they don't, you know, they, they don't respond to us for the gift we just gave them, either something we did or something we literally gave them, we get bent out of shape. And it, it, it reveals our heart. It reveals what I'm really after. I'm not, I'm not out of, for giving them a gift. A gift is something you give and that's it. It's not about what do I get back. If, if you want to grow in this, if you want to grow in what it is Paul's calling them to, determine to pursue and be loving to those in your life that are really hard to love. Because it exposes what your hope is. Okay, it helps, you see, it helps me see how really self-deceived I am about my Christian faith. If, you, if my faith is really self-centered, then about gaining my success and my comfort, you know, I'm going to want no part of having to really be loving to people that drive me up the wall. But, you know, I mean, I mean, wrestling with learning to bless them and work on their behalf, to make them feel loved. But that's why Paul says the nature of faith. He says only what counts is a new creation is faith that energizes love. He says the nature of faith is it's going to produce love. It's going to produce not natural love. I mean, it's easy to love people who are just like you, that you like being around. It's supernatural love. It's loving people who are hard to love. And it helps expose me for whether I'm serving God or whether I'm using God just to get what I want out of it. You know, it might be a thankless job or or, a boss or employee or somebody you work with that's hard to love. And and he he says, you know, so what? Love them. I mean, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Plain, he said, love your enemies. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. But what does he say? You will be sons of the Most High. You'll be like a child of God, which is what Paul's been saying in Galatians. That you are, if you're a child of God, this, you're going to be like your father by loving your enemies. He says, for he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You know who the ungrateful and the evil is? Us. So that's how he treats me. Why should I think I'm not supposed to treat other people like that? He says, be merciful as your father is merciful to you. We've got, we, we've, we've got a purpose in our hearts. I mean, it's not that, that I'm going to love people people that are really hard to love. Paul's not talking about super Christians. He's saying this is, this is normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill Christianity. He says, that's why I give you my spirit. So when you, when you take on trying to love somebody difficult, be aware, kind of be alert to your heart responses to it. You might find yourself sliding into self-pity over having to do it. Or on the other hand, sliding into condescension. You know, I'm, I'm this good person loving this wretch, you know, uh, bending down to help them out. I mean, it, it'll help drive you to grace. Your, your, your prayer life will grow exponentially because you just realize, Lord, I can't do this. 
But let me tell you, if, if, you want to, if you really, really want to learn about grace, if you want to pump up your faith and whether you believe get grace, whether you believe the gospel really works in your life, make it a pattern. Determine that I'm going to say, Lord, who are, who are the people who are going to be hard to love or scary to love this week? And help me to be loving to them. Okay? Make it, make it your, your, your love project to target it. Because he says, if you, what, what, whatever your record is, it doesn't matter. What counts is faith working through love. Now, one, one last little piece here. You, you, you don't tend to see your failure in faith. Okay? If, you, you, if you're not believing the gospel, you're not going to be aware of it. But what you can tell is, what does he say? The faith is going to work itself through what? Love. So the, the love is, is what, what you look for is a failure in love. And if I have a failure in love, then I've got to work back from that and say, okay, how does, how does that reflect in my faith? Let's, let's use another example. Earlier we looked at the dangers for somebody who, who uh, really uh, has a deep desire to be prompt. Let's take the flip side. Okay, you're somebody who's regularly late. It's a love issue. Okay, you're impacting uh, other people and potential by... by you know, not being there for them. You're potentially bearing a bad witness because your word isn't trustworthy. You don't come through on what you told them. And, and so your, your word is, is sketchy. So the, the, and probably thinking I'm going to be better disciplined hasn't worked for you, right? If, if, this is your, if this is your struggle. Often, well, the, the way the applied gospel works, as he's talking about in this, in this verse here, is that, you need to think or keep track of, you know, when you find times where you're late again, go back and say, what, what was it that quote, quote, made you late? Although nothing makes you late, it's just there were things there. But what, did, what, what were the things that kept you from, you know, making sure you were there on time? And often, and I'm definitely in this basket of people, I start thinking, I can get one or two more things done prior to leaving, and I overestimate my ability to knock things out. But you could say, well, I just need to be better planning. Well, but what that means is I'm not loving people. And loving, I mean, that, that, that is the record that God looks at, is how, you know, how are we loving people? And so the, I've got to look at my record and say whether I get those one or two things done or not, that has less value. What counts is believing the gospel and making sure I'm loving the person that I told I was going to meet, you know, be with at a, at a certain time or some people I was going to be there. I mean, the, the record Jesus looks at is love. Because if I don't, people feel used. You know, they, they feel unloved and unimportant. And again, it's not that being late or being on time or being neat or whatever. whatever. It's not that or loving people, being uh, benefiting people, or wanting so that they give me approval. It's not that those things aren't bad. We, we should seek to be on time. That's why I use both sides of the equation. The issue is why. The issue is my record in it. It's not that I don't strive to live excellently. It's having a record of being excellent and thinking that's the determining basis. Does that make sense? I mean, a few verses later, Tim will hit on this next week. Paul talks about that love is about fulfilling the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. So it's not that we don't live before the law but it's about loving people and loving God. And so as we, as we tie all this together, it's 
asking the Lord this week to walk with you as you think in terms of, ask God, and I'm going to be praying with you, that God will just pull up in your, in your conscience awareness of when you're really being locked into your record about something. And ask God to show you. And when you, and when you see that, and I, again, I've, just had to, I've had to literally do this, to stop and to preach myself. Say, Jeff, for whether somebody thinks you're a hard worker or a lazy bum, or whether somebody thinks you're being prompt or being late, or wh- whatever the case may be, how I look isn't what matters. What matters is Jesus covered how I look. Jesus, thy blood and thy righteousness are my beauty and my glorious dress. Jesus' record has covered me, so I'm free to quit thinking about me and how I look, and I can start thinking about how do I best love or serve this person. So ask God to show you these opportunities this week. It's really, really practical, even though he's talking about circumcision. So let's ask God to help us with these things. Father, thank you that these are all transferable concepts. Uh, the, 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 the specific example was different for these Galatians, but the, but the principle's ours. We are so prone to self-righteousness. Make myself look good by my performance. Help, help me to see it. Help us to see it. But not just so we can pat ourselves on the back or feel good about ourselves, but so it'll unleash us to be able to love well and to love better. Help us see the ways that we don't love. Help us get people in our lives to speak back to us ways that we're unloving, generally without even knowing it. It just comes naturally or comes, flows out of our being preoccupied with our record so that we might be sons of the God most high. We thank you that you are make us sons and daughters that were yours, not because we love well, but because you do. And it's because of that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.